when you are disabled, society doesn't consider you a worthy member of society. And, and sex has so much entitlement around it as well. So when you express a desire to, to have a sexual experience as a, as a disabled person, it can be healthcare workers, it can be families a lot of the time, and society in general. But why do you want to have sex? It's, it's strange because we are mostly here because of sex. But besides that, when it's consensual, it's a pleasurable experience that I think everybody should have when they watch it. And society frowns upon that. And it's unfortunate. Ableism is so perversive that people can't see the humanity of disabled people because if you saw the humanity of disabled people, then you would recognize that they are also sexual beings. Welcome to Asking for a Friend, the podcast that covers all those topics you may want to know more about, but might feel a lot of shame in asking. I'm your host, Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, speaker, and sexuality researcher. This week's episode is sponsored by My Sexual Health, credible sexual health providers. MySexualHealth.co.za is an online destination where you can find or become a credible sexual health provider. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to learn more about how to become a credible sexual health provider and for a discount to the Sexology Training Club. My guest today, Mahosi Letimile, completely challenges the narrative around sexual disability and pleasure. As a disabled woman, sex worker, and someone who reviews sex toys, she's refocused her work on promoting pleasure and sexual curiosity for disabled people, in spite of the narrative that exists. Through her own exploration, she's discovered how pleasure can be used not only as a means to enhance her sexual well-being, but also as a therapeutic tool to regain bodily function. I think it's really important for us to begin this conversation with you sharing with me and my listeners about yourself and your journey and what's led you to this work. Because I have known you, you know, um, indirectly and now directly for quite a while. And I've really watched you um, take up a position of authority and power in, in a very positive way on some pretty fantastic global platforms to share your experience and educate people and in the work that you do. So I'd love if you wouldn't mind starting there. Wow, what a powerful affirmation. Thank you so much for that. Uh, so my name is Mahwa Silitimile. Uh, I'm a mom uh, and I'm a disabled um, sex worker. I'm a sex educator I'm a, and I, yeah, I love talking about healing and disability. So my my journey was quite accidental, actually. And it, it's funny how, you know, what something that you would consider um, a tragedy in your life could lead you to a path like this. And I say this because when, uh, for, for me to start doing this, first of all, um, I run Wheels and Toys. So what I do, I started off by reviewing sex toys for disabled people, but now it's a progress to now talking about sexual health and sexual pleasure for disabled people and about disabled people. So the long and short of it, I got disabled in 2016. I'm in my mid-30s, you know, the prime of the sexuality, as you can imagine, and uh, I got disabled. 
I got sick, I, just, I got disabled and yeah, I, I had to, to get used to, to life as a disabled person. And when I think about my six months, because I spent six months in rehab, my six months in rehab was about healing my physical and everything was mentioned besides my genitals or the pleasure. You know, when we were given sex education talks at in rehab, we, we were shown a video about how to make ourselves more sexually appealing on the outside because we had now different bodies. We were possessing different bodies and we were not told about how to get our, our pleasure back. So I've been accidentally discovering my pleasure bag and yeah this is where we are now <laughs> and um it's, it's been a an eye-opening journey and i i can't imagine doing anything else with my life you know it's so very interesting the way you have reframed this and i'm really fascinated i guess by the focus of of sexuality being this external thing that when you were were spending those six months doing physical rehab the focus on sexuality was this external thing and your journey has delved far deeper into your experience of sexuality and pleasure within yourself and then only on the external connecting with others and so on and it's That's really cool. it's really fascinating and enlightening to hear just kind of the way that this journey has taken you first from reviewing sex toys, which for, for disabled bodies, which I must say, I, I think is not done enough. If we look at kind of major global players in the sex toy industry, they are not promoting sex toy use for disabled bodies. It's only for able bodies. They don't, I, I don't know what your experience is, but I don't see representation of disabled bodies in marketing for sex toys. And yet there is such a need for sexual aid, sexual toys for people who perhaps are disabled. And is that something that you've experienced as well? It's, it's, a, it's an interesting one because when I started using sex toys, I was using them to help me with my incontinence, which, you know, the story is so twisted. Um, <laughs> I started using vibrators to help me manage my incontinence because I wasn't told that if I had an orgasm a day, then I'd be able to control my bladder, which is something that I wasn't able to do post-disability, you know. And um, marketing for, for, for disabled people, it's growing, but not at the rate that everything else is growing in the industry. It's also an afterthought, you know, it's always still an afterthought. And uh, companies are very nervous to invest in disabled people because I think there's an assumption that because we are disabled, we don't have long lives. So putting money into disabled anything is not going to assure you getting anything back because you can't trust disabled bodies, which is very unfortunate because disabled people are some of the healthiest people I know because we are so finicky about our health. So... I'm trying, I know that there are a lot of international companies that try and include disabled people, but I want to have a disabled manufacturing plant in Africa where people can buy affordable toys. I'm only able to afford toys because sometimes I get sponsored or 
because I used to sell them, you know, I, I have friends in the industry say, oh, there's a new toy, I think you should try. And then that's how I was able to get toys. But that's so inaccessible to, you know, an ordinary disabled person, I think. So it's, it's a very complex story because I'm trying to heal myself and I'm picking up all these things and I'm thinking, but I can't fix all of this, you know, but it has to start with me. And yes, I had to, I had to make peace with myself and my disability before I could get in touch with my sexuality, going back to the conversation about sex um, and, and healing. I couldn't, because when I was in rehab, you know, you, you, so many people put their hands on your body, you, you just associate with your body. So I had to learn to be familiar with my body first again and get comfortable with being disabled and get comfortable with knowing that my, my movements are limited. And then I was able to think, okay, so I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm surviving, what next? And sexual pleasure was the next obvious thing, you know, and the concept of dating was completely out. So, and as I was getting stronger, as I was healing, my libido was coming back, you know? So yeah, it was just like an accident because I was trying to fix my incontinence. And then, yeah, I discovered that while coming, I can actually, you know, get healthier. And, and I've been able to control my bladder for about a year and six months now. So it's just, putting myself as a, as a case study, if one could say, to say, okay, so what happens if I do this? And, you know, maybe this will work. So having seen how it worked for me, I decided, you know what, let me just tell other people about what I discovered because we don't always have the option for surgery or Botox or whatever to, to help with incontinence, you know, and finding a very non-invasive and pleasurable way to healing and, and consciousness in myself was, was just, yeah, <laughs> I amazed myself with that. I think that's why I want to tell everybody about it because I couldn't believe it. So, I, yeah. <laughs> I want you to shout it. I want you to shout it from the rooftops. I, do. <laughs> I really do because, because uh, there, 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 there's, there's two reasons for me. I mean, the one is that you actually, I, I almost want to say you were courageous enough because I do, I do think that this is, is a really courageous thing. You were courageous enough to explore that as an option. Too many people are so afraid of something like a sex toy and what that means. And can they bring that to their bodies, whether you're able-bodied or, or disabled? It, it's, you know, people are fearful of sex, firstly. There's a lot of shame around sex. So firstly, the, the courage to actually try that. But secondly, to now want to shout about it and say to people, look, you you don't knock it till you try it sort of thing. Be aware that this, this isn't the final answer. If you're experiencing incontinence, that doesn't mean you always have to experience incontinence necessarily. Obviously, I, I need to just to caveat that. But yeah. there are ways about it. And I think, you know, I hear you often hear stories of people who were told oh, you'll never walk again. And I think it's the courage, that first thing I was talking about, that really determines whether that can be true or not 
you, you, you may never be able to not have a stoma, a bag ever again. I, for my listeners, a stoma is a bag attached to the outside of the body where kind of uh, waste from the body enters. And so it can be removed. And when the bowels don't work properly or the bladder doesn't work properly and so on. Um, so, so, you know, just because you, you have these, these experiences that you are trying to navigate doesn't mean they always have to be like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, courage. I don't know if it was courage. It was just, I was, I was frustrated because when I was being told to manage my bladder, it was a timed existence. So I knew that every three hours I had to go to the bathroom and clear my bladder or I would have an accident. So when you're spending time looking at the watch and you're afraid that if I miss even 10 minutes, I'm going to have an accident and embarrass myself. My life felt like it was at a standstill because every three hours now I'm monitoring myself when my body could tell me when it's time. You know, yes, it's not going to be the experience for everybody, but being able to know that I can sleep through the night and when I need to go to the bathroom, I can actually feel my bladder getting full and my body saying, okay, it's enough now. You know, it's, it's a big difference compared to me having to set an alarm every three hours, even during the night, I'm up every three hours going to clear my bladder because I don't want to make my bed, you know? So it was frustration. And after you've lost control of your bladder in public after a couple of times, you get tired of the humiliation, you know? So here I am in my thirties and thinking, but if I want to go out there and try and relive my life again as a disabled person, I need to be able to control my bladder. You know, and um, people always laugh when I say the one thing that I had earlier this year, I think I put the, the image on Instagram, was a mega cup of coffee. It was huge. Uh, or it was last, sometime last year, sometime last year. And I, I remember having it and thinking, I haven't had coffee in four years without worrying about my bladder. And the last time I had coffee, I actually had to leave work because something was wrong. You know, so frustration and wanting wanting my life to continue because I can't do anything if I'm always looking at the time that I'm losing while I'm rushing to the bathroom. You know, so it 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 was it was just yeah, it was frustration and then I thought I have to do something, you know. Um I I wear I wear incontinence pads and it's like ten it's ten in a pack, and they're expensive. I use linen savers. That's ten in a pack. They're like seventy rands now. Everything's gone up. Those are the things that I was spending money on. I used I used to go through a pack of about thirty um, what's this? incontinence pairs a month, which amounts to about five hundred rands, give or take. I'm down to like one pack a month. If I'm pushing it, if I go out, then I know that I need to put an incontinence pad on. But if I'm home, then I'm fine. And it's a financial implication as well, because if I can't control my bladder and I need to be spending all this money to stay dry and I can't work, so many things were being affected by my bladder not being functional as I wished it to be. So I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go find help. and. If I fail, at least I knew that I tried. And as luck would have it, or as science would have it, 
when I was giving a masterclass in May on the 14th, I remember that date, there was a scientific paper that was published on the day that proved that vibrators can be used to, you know, manage consciousness. And I felt so validated because finally there's something in science that proves my theory. And I'm, I, yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just been fun. It's been mind blowing. You know? So that's why I want to tell everybody about it because once the scientists say that it's valid, then you pretty much can say, okay, yeah, but science proves it. So I felt, you know what? My body was proof. I spoke to my doctors about it, but science backing me has been um, a big, big game changer for me. I love that it's not just anecdotal, it's actually evidence-based. Um, yes. you know, that's brilliant. <laughs> Out of interest, um, I would imagine, yes. and this is from my, my knowledge of anatomy, and, and perhaps you are going to have more extensive knowledge in this area, but is that because of the, the kind of contractions that take place during orgasm in the pelvic floor? And the way that perhaps the the clitoris, because I'm imagining, you know, less than 1% of of people with clitorises or vulvas stimulate themselves internally to reach orgasm. So over 99% of people with a clitoris will stimulate themselves externally to reach orgasm. So is it because the clitoral structure and the bladder sit very close together and thus the pelvic floor, which is the main muscle group that plays a role in bladder control, in orgasm, in sensation. Is it because there is working out of those muscles? Is that the reason why there is this connection that you've discovered and that has now been shown in the research? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think because we attach so much shame to sex. We don't think about how our genitals are also muscles that need exercising. So um, when you're thinking, yeah, I need to, like, when I want to have firmer arms, I go to the gym and I lift, and I want to have, you know, a calf muscle, I go and I do leg presses. But nobody thinks, you know, my vagina might need, or my bladder or my penis might need, you know, a bit of exercise. If it is sold, it's sold as you can do kegels, but, you know, it's for sexual pleasure for the man. You know, it's never really about how it can be healing for you and why you need to be doing all of this work for yourself. At the end of the day, you have to live with your body and you know what it's like not to be in touch with your sexuality and how alienating it can feel. It's it's another constant conversation that, I'm trying to have with people is that when I'm talking about sex, I'm not trying to be creepy. I need you to understand that your your genitals are a part of your body and you avoiding conversations about that, you know, it's not really going to help you because you still need to engage yourself in in, in your sexuality one way or another. Yeah, it is the, the pelvic muscles and then, you know, the contractions of the orgasms. It's, 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 <laughs> it's amazing what the body can do. And being able to also control like my bowel movement, um, because I'm I'm on a regimen like uh, because I can't go to the bathroom. I never used to be able to go to the bathroom, you know, without assistance. But now, when I get my period, I get period diarrhea, which never used to happen, you know, before I started using toys. And yeah, it's just it's healing 
it's it's healing all of my 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 reproductive system and, and I'm I'm in awe all the time. I'm always amazed at, at what vibrations have done for my life and for my body. And you've had fun while doing it, I hope. I've had so much fun doing that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the other part. People talk about vibrations like, oh yeah, but talk about the pleasure of the vibrations once you get comfortable with your body and you know what you like. Using vibrators can be such a beautiful experience, and I and I wish that more people actually open to the idea of introducing vibrators to to their bedrooms, whether for themselves or for their partners. I, I have a, I'm a strong believer that any anybody should have a, a minimum of five toys in the bedroom. Five toys. Just five like options that you can. Because yeah. you don't feel like using the same toy every day. So, you know, sometimes you feel like a um, tutorial stimulation. Sometimes you feel like something penetrative. Sometimes you feel like something that just massages you. So you need to have options for, you know, the different moods. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's my advice. <laughs> you know, as human beings, we like novelty and variety. So you need to have that in as well with your toys. <laughs> you you touched on the shame there, right? That That is felt globally um i've seen that in in lots of different cultural groups and um population groups around the world that there's still this shame associated to sex but particularly i'm i'm wondering within the disabled community you said it yourself in your rehabilitation you know pleasure and the act of sex or the experience of sex was it's just repeatedly left out of the narrative and I, I did some, I have a, a podcast episode from my first season, I think, with Stanley Ducharme, who is an, uh, a therapist who, who has worked extensively in the field of spinal cord injuries and sex. And he, he has done such incredible work to try and help healthcare providers who are providing healthcare to people with spinal cord injuries to not leave this topic out of their mm. care because it's constantly mm. happening that this part of your life just disappears just is not happening now yeah. that speaks volumes to the shame i've just mentioned that we feel the world over and healthcare providers particularly they have their own shame they then avoid the topic of sex with their with their patients so that creates a, a more sense of shame makes the the patient feel that they can't ask questions about their sexuality and you know you were you were speaking about how aspects of of your disability are really or have been had been should i say really impacting your quality of life and we know that sexual health is part of our overall well-being it can greatly improve our quality of living and our quality of life if we have good sexual health and it's interesting then that it's it's just left out of the narrative why you know apart from that shame what do you think is happening you know why is it that when somebody becomes disabled and experiences all of the challenges that now are new to them that they have to face why is it do you, do you think that we're just not talking about pleasure and sex honestly short answer is ableism mm -hmm. um but the long answer is that when you are disabled uh, society doesn't consider you 
a worthy member of society, you know, so, and, and sex has so much entitlement around it as well. So when you express a desire to, to have a sexual experience as a, as a disabled person, it can be healthcare workers, it can be families a lot of the time and society in general, but why do you want to stay, you know? So it, it's, it's strange because we are all, well, mostly of us, <laughs> IVF babies high, but we are mostly here because of sex, you know, when you start with that. But besides that, it's, it's a pleasurable, consensual, when it's consensual, it's a pleasurable experience that I think everybody should be have when should have when they watch it and society frowns upon that and it, it's it's unfortunate let me say that that um ableism is so perversive that people can't see the humanity of disabled people because if you saw the humanity of disabled people then you would recognize that they are also sexual beings and they deserve to be loved and to to you know to get all these other experiences that able-bodied people get. So it's it's trying to teach people to unlearn the shame, but you're also teaching them to unlearn ableism. You know, so we can start with 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 one of the one or the other, but um I've I've realized that trying to get people to unlearn shame is actually harder because it's ingrained from in us from a very young age. You're, you're ashamed about, you know, your your self-discovery as a as a as a as a which as you're growing and you become a teenager and you're ashamed about your changing body and you become a young adult and you change you're ashamed about, you know, the world's looking at you the way it does. So you're constantly living through these shameful stages. You know, it's hard to unlearn. And then here comes somebody who's disabled says actually I think I'd like to have some sex as well. <laughs> so we need to, to teach our, our society to understand shame, not only for themselves, but to free others as well. Because once you stop shaming people, then you are more willing to listen to what they're saying and possibly understand where they're coming from. I mean, I've had people say things to me, and I say, I'm a sex worker. Oh, that's so disgusting. I'm like, yes, I know, but you need to listen to what I'm doing. And lots of people listen. They're like, oh, actually, that makes sense. It's like, yes, you see, all you had to do was listen, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a job that, unfortunately, somebody has to do. And I wouldn't be here if I wasn't disabled. But what I want is for others to learn from my experience without having to go through the disability to discover themselves and that sexual, you know, that sexuality. Because I started off by, by reviewing toys for disabled people and concentrating on that. But I speak to able-bodied people about um, finding the appropriate toys or what they think they should use and things like that. And able-bodied people struggle with the shame, you know, so they pass it on to us. And, you know, obviously society is going to look away because, well, you know, you're not even supposed to be thinking about sex as a disabled person. So I'm having to teach able-bodied people to stop being ashamed of seeing pleasure for what it is. And I'm hoping that by them learning from me, then they'll do better by teaching others. You know, I don't know if it's working, but um, I'll keep doing it until I stop breathing. Because for some, I won't even say for some odd reason, I can't imagine myself 
doing anything else with my life um, for the rest of my life, you know. So besides teaching people about disability and sexual health and sexual pleasure and all the various things that come with it. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a lifelong journey that I'm looking forward to. I just hope that people are learning while I'm still trying to get everybody together in the meantime. <laughs> well, and, and on your journey of being a pleasure pioneer, I think. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, so, as, yeah. as, as, a, as a therapist, I, I can wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I say to all of my clients, shame is the stickiest of the emotions. It's oh. the one that wants to cling to you for the longest and doesn't want to let go, no matter how hard you try to shake it off. It's unfortunately a learnt emotion it's a social emotion and you know from from what you're saying I'd almost go so far as to say that shame exists far before you experienced your disability and that is yeah. is true for unfortunately most human beings and it's unfortunately true in relation to our sexuality and our our curiosity around our sexuality because as soon as we we display any curiosity around our bodies, we get shamed for it. And I'm generalizing hugely here, of course. Obviously, yeah. we, are, we are fortunate. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. But we are fortunate that we do live in an age where kids, and I know there's a lot of, of risk, but they can access social media in a very sex-positive way. And I was listening to a fantastic podcast the other day where teenagers were sharing their experience of gaining sex positive education through TikTok and how for them it was far better than any type of education they were getting from parents or from teachers or from school. They, they all felt that those three places were falling very short of, of preparing them in, in terms of their experiences and doing a far better job at dismantling the shame that's associated to sex. So I think that this, this problem that you, you have encountered of needing to uncouple the shame from sex, particularly with, you know, around the, the notion of ableism, is, is so powerful because I don't think no matter your background, no matter your age, no matter what body type you are, what gender you identify as, this is a global problem. It's, it's endemic, the shame associated yes. to sex. Yes. Yes. And what you're saying is that unfortunately, and it's such a powerful point that you made, that if, if, if able-bodied people were able to associate sex and pleasure or, or put sex and pleasure in the same, in the same group as, as, as people who, who have a disability, you know, you humanize disabled people. And that Absolutely. in itself would be quite confronting. Yes, yes. So I, I, I find it odd that I think shame is more harmful than ableism. But then shame is what triggers ableism because, you know, you're shaming disabled people because how dare you. So we need to be able to get people to, pass, to get past that shame. And then, you know, once you... you Get over that. And I say this as somebody who was shamed a lot because my experience was was shared before it was on Instagram, which is a very um, I control that that very um, it's a different experience from Twitter. I started talking about my experience of using vibrators on Twitter, and yeah, I <laughs> I wasn't ready for the pushback, 
from yeah. some of the corners, mm-hmm. but I knew that I had to talk about it because I had looked all over the internet. I was trying to find something to help me with my incontinence that didn't involve thousands of rands or any kind of invasive surgery, you know, which were both unavailable options to me. And I thought, you know, if I can get on the internet and be shamed by strangers, I'll get over it, but I'll still be on a mission. So I had to get over my own shame and being able to, and to talk about your, your vagina on the internet is very terrifying. So <laughs> I've learned to be unashamed about that. And um, I've, I've got a teenager. I'm a mom to a 16, almost 16 year old. Um, and uh, before I went public with my conversation, I had to tell my daughter who was 13 then, COVID, she was 13 then, you know, that I'm going to start writing about my experience and these are the reasons. And when your friends see my work on the internet or, you know, in the papers or on TV, please don't catch a fright because I knew that it was going to, to reach her because she's a social media team, you know. And we talked about it. She was fine. The first article dropped in the city press. My kid was not impressed. She wanted to change her skin and she was so pissed with me. I had to be like, I'm so sorry, baby. But, you know, they'll get over it. And I think it was one of her friends who read the article and said, actually, what your mom is doing is cool. Like, she was like, oh, okay, so it's acceptable. And, you know, she unlearned. She was unburdened with the shame from that. So when people will say to her, oh, yeah, I saw your mom on TV, she's like, oh, yeah, my mom is a health worker. You know, she does amazing things. You should call my mom. She sells vibrators. So I'm at the stage with my life where my kid is telling people, you should actually call my mother. You know, she could teach you a couple of things. It was me coming clean with her or her finding it out on social media and feeling the shame from that. And I didn't want to burden that with putting uh, my kid with that because she, she doesn't deserve any of that. But she also needed to be aware of how my journey was playing out in a social media platform that people can actually connect to me because of our standings or whatever. I don't speak of shame as something that, as a concept, is because I constantly am learning to unlearn shame in my own life, you know, and I see what it does and how it changes how I navigate life. So I'm trying to get everybody else to unlearn that shame so that they can live better lives. You know, and have better sex as well because once you stop being ashamed of your genitals, the sex is just mind blowing. <laughs> yep. I've yep. never had so much good sex in my life, but that's it's people. It's, <laughs> it's funny because I I was sexually active from my twenties, you know, mid teens, twenties, and I know that your your libido changes and it grows as you grow into your thirties. But I didn't know that I had to be disabled first for me to, to have the kind of sex that I only used to imagine. And I've dated people who were like, oh, you know. And I used to think I had good sex. But now I look at them like, you know. <laughs> I wasn't having okay sex. I was, you know, it was okay. Now. <laughs> now it's noteworthy. It's something to write about. It's quite, quite literally. I'm writing about it because I can't believe it. <laughs> You know, I, I really want to, I just want to say back, what a thing that you have done in sitting your teenage daughter down and saying, this is what is happening. This is, is what I'm going to do. 
and empowering yourself through it, but being so aware and cognizant of not, you know, burdening her with the shame that is associated to this. I love that her friends are the ones going, wow, you got a cool mom because you are, you're the cool mom. (laughs) You're you're the one who's not hiding away from this topic that they're all going to find out about anyway. You know, yeah. you, you are the one who's going, I'm I'm going to be a pioneer in this and I want to be honest and I want to be authentic and I want to show up for other people like myself who are going to experience struggles and don't have to and also want to have this amazing, amazing experience in terms of pleasure. I'm going to do that. What a role model for your daughter and for her friends, which I, I think is so cool that they, they think you're cool because I agree, that, that actually... <laughs> You know, you're changing, and this is this is as you said, shame is, is is so hard. We have to constantly work throughout our lives to to kind of shake off that stickiness. To shake it off. And you've told me now you've done such a, an amazing thing in not passing on your shame to your daughter, because that is what happens intergenerationally. We pass on our shame and our own experiences yes. of it to our children. So that is yes. phenomenal. But the other thing that I'm I'm really enamored to hear you talk of is your your unashamed approach to sharing with others about something that is shamed you've gone against the thing that everybody else like you know runs away from you've gone towards the thing you've proven that actually the more you turn towards the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable, the better it actually gets for you. So much so you're having mind-blowing sex, which is something nobody will ever put in the same category as, as a disabled person, which infuriates me. You know, I, I imagine that there would be people, I don't know if they're going to be listening to this podcast, because I don't know if these sorts of people would be listening to my podcast, but People who listen, who who are like, how is that possible? You know, how can she be having, you know, the best sex of her life if she's disabled? Doesn't matter. I think you know, you spoke, you spoke there so clearly about the nuances of sex and and pleasure, and about how sex is all about letting go. We got to let go of the shame. We got to let go of the the narratives we've been fed. We got to let go of the anxieties. And once you do that, you allow yourself. You give yourself permission. I speak about this in every episode. You give yourself permission to explore, to be curious, to discover, and you've done just that. You've you've brought the experience of pleasure into your life in such a wholehearted, honest, vulnerable way. Yeah, no, it's um I always say my my disability is a blessing and a curse. Um it's a blessing because I get to have these kind of conversations and these kind of experiences, but it's a curse as well because I live in a very inaccessible world, you know. So you're like, ah, you know, things are so great, and then you got say like, ah, oh, it's so inaccessible, you know. So yeah, it's 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 been quite a it's been quite an experience. Hey, I never would have imagined my life would be what it is now when I left rehab in 2016, you know, and I was told, okay, so this is your life now and um, good luck, God bless, and um, call us if you need anything. I, I, didn't, I didn't see myself being who I am now, you know. So, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's been quite, a, quite an experience and I'm, I'm glad to, to, to share it with people. And, because my disability was unexpected. I mean, you know, as a lot of our disabilities are, I think about 70% of us 
are just in our disabilities, in our old age or accidents or whatever. So it was me trying to make lemonade out of lemons, basically, because what else was I going to do, you know? Was I going to live with incontinence forever and just give up on my life? Or was I going to try and get my life back together? And that all actually centered around me being sexually healthy. Isn't that odd that I had to be sexually healthy for my life to actually start being functional? It's one thing that I could never take for granted that my, my sex life had to make sense in order for my life to start making sense. And I always say to people, tell me about the kind of sex that you want to have. And then I'll, I'll you know, we'll, we'll talk about what the kind of sex that I think you should be having. And it's, it's conversations like, like this that I, I appreciate. And I'll say, yeah. I think, I think that's, <laughs> that's a great question to be asking. I've, I've just been wondering, you know, and listening to you speak publicly um, in academic platforms and kind of global stages as you did last year at the World Association of Sexual Health. I'm wondering for you in terms of those experiences, are you still coming up against the same obstacles you're coming up against with people's thought processes around sex, pleasure, and disability? Have you seen um, a willingness and an openness to change the narrative? Where do you think we still fall short? And where are we changing? Where are things shifting and improving? So with where we are information-wise, when we're on the internet and we're all talking together, you know, it's great. Uh, Everybody, you know, gets it and it makes sense. But it's putting um, proof to the concept on the ground that's proving to be difficult. And I say that because I was saying to a friend, you know, when we're talking about uh, health matters, Women's Month is coming up, um, companies will be spending a lot of money to, to, to you know, spread the word about, you know, women this, women that. But nobody's going to be hiring me to, go, to talk to women about sexual pleasure because they consider it inappropriate, you know. So, yes, it's great that I get to talk about this and share it with people, but mainstream companies still consider it inappropriate. And considering that whatever, wherever I am, whether it's a social setting, a business, I've been to conferences, anytime I get around a group of women, the one thing that comes up is sex. We're always talking about sex. We talk about sex on our lunch breaks. We talk about sex. We, it, it runs everything, and companies frown upon me talking about it. I don't know if it's maybe I, I don't speak it like I'm supposed to, but um, I, let me say, so, South Africans have a very conservative relationship with sex, which is very strange considering the kind of porn that South Africans don't dance in. So we're conservatives, but we are very... Hmm, Sexually perverted, yes, that's the word that I'm looking for. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very tough road to navigate. And also, it, it goes without saying that my being Black is also a factor in the thing because um, you need to earn trust, and that's not always something that's open to me. So, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's work. It, it will change eventually, but, yeah. When it does, uh, I'll be hopefully one of the people that are at the forefront of that. But we, 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 have to, we have to work because if we don't do this work, who is going to be doing all this work? 
you know, I was left to my own devices when I got disabled. Well, I was sent home with uh, linen savers and that was it. I wasn't told about anything else. I want women to leave rehab with a book about sexual health and a vibration and an instruction manual that says, you know, um, you should consider these options. And if you're uncomfortable, this is a number to call. And somebody should call and say, I'm uncomfortable about this, but I'm curious about how to get help. I think rehab would completely change if people were more open-minded. But um, yeah, I would have to get somebody to fund me for something that private because I don't see <laughs> a big corporate coming giving me money to go teach people how to be healthier uh, sexually, which is kind of weird because if you have healthy people, then you can get them to work. But um, this is an ongoing conversation. It will change. It's, it's, it's slow changes. You, you, when you're in the eye of the storm, you tend to wish for the change to be faster. You know? So I want things to change as rapidly as I'm experiencing them, but I'm aware that it's not in my control. So I have to let that go and keep doing what I do, what I'm doing, and the world will catch up. Um, whether they catch up while I'm still alive or not, you know, the mere fact that I actually did this and I did something that changed my life um, and changed so many other people's lives that have talked to me about their experiences, I, I don't think there's a great honor. So, yeah, we'll keep working until we stop breathing. That's the only way to do it. I'm, I'm already sitting here because this is the kind of person that I am going, right, okay, how are Jose and I going to work together to do this, to change the way that the conversation takes place when, you know, people are in, in physical rehab facilities. I'm, my brain's already going like, right, how can we make this happen? Because we have to make this happen, I think. We have to make this happen because I, I, was, in a, I was in a ward with like four other women and I always wonder where they are and how they are handling incontinence. And because I've lost control of my bladder in public, and I've had people look at me and in pity and in shame. I always wondered what happened to those women who don't have friends who, who send them vibrators, who don't have access to the information, you know, and uh, how do we help those without, you know, when, I mean, the, the rehab center that I was at is government run. So I know that it's, it's, it's people that are without mostly. So how do we get those people to also be living healthier lives? Because living with incontinence is expensive. Besides it being a very strenuous experience, it's a very expensive experience. You know, not only time-wise, but because you always have to be buying something to try and fix your bladder. And you're living with society that says you're a woman. You're not supposed to be having all these bodily dysfunctions, you know, by virtue of that, disabled women are losing, that their lifespans are becoming shorter because that disregarded so much. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's literally a, a mess of life and death. But to somebody who might not think of incontinence as something serious, it, it's, it's, it's a very debilitating condition to live with. And I say this as somebody who used to live with, with, with uh, uncomfortable um, incontinence. So, yeah, we, we need to. We need to help women. And yeah, science is great, but science is funded by, by men who don't I mean, we have Viagra, you know, but we don't have something to help the women with, with their libido. 
got things that help us turn down our livelihoods. It's a lot of work. That's why I say it's so complex because it involves so many different things that are just attached to our reproductive system. I think I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're absolutely not. You, you really aren't. You're saying so much of value and so much of worth, so much that needs to be said. Yes, I think there is a a real there's a there's a need, eh? So we we yeah. So how do we get how do we get a, a manual an instruction manual and a vibrator to women out there and say you know if you go home and do this for six months you should notice the same a change. I mean I noticed the change in my ladder six weeks after I started using uh, vibrators consistently. So this was like maybe once or twice a day. And after six weeks, I was able to sleep through the night and I woke up in my bed was dry. I remember I called my late friend, Cindy. I said, Cindy, you're not going to believe it. She's like, I'm like, my bed is dry. And we were screaming on the phone because my bed is dry. And it was such a big deal, yeah. you know, because sleeping through the night and not waking up soaked in your own urine because you couldn't feel anything is not an experience that you want to have. Yes, I've got the mattress protectors and whatnot, but it's an exhausting experience. So yeah, um, yeah. We, we need to, to give women, we need to give people with incontinence that dignity back. That, that's what we need to do because you're giving people that dignity back. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't, I, I want to say even further than incontinence, just somebody who who is now having to navigate a disability to a give disability. their quality of life back as much as is possible, to reframe the experience as much as is possible. And hearing you consider the experience of others because of your own, and that's just just those four women that you were in the ward with, just thinking about them and where are they now and what is it that they're experiencing and how are their lives impacted, just those four women. Those are four women. You know, think of all the other people out there who are trying exactly. to navigate this. I think that there is an unfortunate monopoly on on sexuality. We we've seen that with pharmaceutical ind industry, with the pharmaceutical industry and Viagra, and the rush to make an, a female Viagra and a female equivalent, which we know there is one, but it's not great. You can't get it in South Africa. You can't drink. It has horrible side effects. Um, no, because sex, you know, the, the brain is the most important sex organ. And we underestimate the impact that it can have both positively and negatively on our ability to experience pleasure. And if our narrative is, well, I have a disability now, what's the point? I can't experience it anyway. You're already going to sell yourself short in terms of your experience of pleasure. But if your thinking process can be kind of gently moved in the direction of, well, just because I am now facing a new set of challenges in my life, this is obviously somebody who becomes, uh, who experiences an accident or an illness or something that, that means they are now disabled, doesn't mean necessarily that they can't be sexual and experience pleasure. Because pleasure, while we are stimulating different parts of the body, is ultimately experienced in the brain, both on a psychological and a physical um, level. So, you know, I'm just thinking about men who who experience a spinal cord injury still being uh, yes. able to, to experience orgasms from having their ears touched or having, you know, their faces caressed because yes. we can retrain our brain to experience pleasure. And, you yes. know, in your case, in doing so, 
discovering that it's not just about the pleasure, but my goodness, it's about bodily function and quality of life. So there's a real need to be open and willing to not just shut this part of yourself down, to not just do kind of go along with what is being said or actually not even being said, but to allow that curiosity, that openness, that willingness to exist, to experience pleasure in a different way or in a similar way, but to allow yourself to not shut that part of yourself off. Yes, that's why when I say I'm having the best sex of my life as a disabled person now, (laughs) it's because my entire body is literally a whole sex organ now. And, you know, um, mobility (laughs) is compromised, but, you know, if you let that stop you, boy, you must have guys. It's 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 um it's a conversation that we need to keep going. So I'm I'm hoping that you know we will get comfortable with with talking about sex as disabled people as 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 time goes because um everything takes time. I think if I'm not mistaken, last year when Was invited me to be one of our speakers, it was the first time that they actually mentioned disability and sexuality as a segment. I could be wrong, but I think it was the first time. And even talking to to healthcare workers and trying to get them to use the word disabled and disability is part of the the conversation that, that, you know, we are still having as well. So once healthcare workers get comfortable with saying, actually, I have a disabled client, um, then they'll, they'll, they'll be able, as I said, this is all wrapped up in shame because People think saying disability or disabled is is wrong or whatever. There's nothing wrong with me saying I'm disabled. I am disabled, you know. So people attach so much shame to that. That's why they'll kind of differently abled or whatever new name they come up with lately. So teaching people to unlearn shame is actually going to be the one thing that sets us on the correct course. So let's 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 get to that. (laughs) Let's get to unteaching people shame. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep trying to yeah. do that my goodness because that's a lifelong part of my job um, <laughs> and it will be a lifelong part of, of your job and, and our career. I, yeah, no, let's unteach people shame it's, uh, it's, it's taking so much away from us yeah and let's let's start early I think your message as well you, you're a uh, you, you you've given us clear evidence for why that that is important with your own experience with your daughter with my teenager. <laughs> teenager exactly i mean we we could continue talking about this there's so much to say for hours and hours on end but it's been right. so, so enlightening to talk to you and so so empowering as a sexologist to be able to share a conversation like this with my listeners and and i, I feel it's it, i hope it's not odd that i'm saying that but i i feel like excited and empowered in in empowering others, I guess, that this is a conversation I'm going to be able to put out there. And whether somebody is 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 disabled or somebody has is, is able-bodied, they will be able to listen to this and learn something about themselves, no matter you know the experiences that they're having. So thank you so much for your willingness to talk openly about your experience and the work that you do. Are you curious about sexuality and want to learn more? 
Well, you can learn much more from me on several platforms. On my website, you can find short online courses to expand your knowledge, either as a member of the public or as a healthcare provider. And if you want a comprehensive sex education that you really should have had but likely never got, then check out my three-hour class on mymastery.tv where you can buy my single class for as little as 145 Rand or $13. The My Sexual Health Sexology Starter Pack includes 20, yes, 20 value-packed sexual health courses that will transform the way you support your patient's sexual health needs. Courses include things like Diagnosing and Treating Sexual Pain by the wonderful Dr. Elna Rudolph, who's the president of the World Association of Sexual Health, and courses in ethics and sexual health practice, and even courses I've developed, such as Sex Therapy for Treating Desired Differences and Sensei Focus, and so much more. The bundle actually has a combined value of over $3,900 and you can gain access to all of it for only $890. If you type in asking for a friend, that's one word, you will get 10% discount on this incredible bundle. Head to sexologycourses.com to take up this amazing offer. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you could rate and review this podcast so that you can continue learning about some incredible and fascinating topics and get the information about sex you should always have had. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform.